Hello. Hey, Simon. <laughs> hey, Simon. It's Skyler. Hey, Simon. Hello, Simon. What's up, Simon? Hello. How are you doing? Hey. Hello. Hey, Simon. Hello, Simon. Welcome to part two of my conversation with Japanese-Korean storyteller Alton Chung. If you missed part one, I highly recommend that you have a listen. Alton goes into history and the collecting of those tales. In this episode, we talk about healing and story, ghost tales, collecting stories and structure. Welcome back. Um, I've got a question for you. Um, so most, most of the interviews that I have uh, with people on conversation with storytellers are people who tell folk and fairy tales because I think that folk and fairy tales are really, really important. And you've kind mm -hmm. of touched on some of that already. Um, but what, why do you... What is what's important to you about these about folk and fairy tales? What's what's the magic behind those? Do you think folk and fairy tales have been around for many years, perhaps a couple hundred years, and they've been told, they've been retold, and you know the stories get polished with each telling, so they're they're reduced to their to their essence, and they have existed, they have survived this long because they have they touch upon some kind of universal theme of human existence. They address some kind of need or some kind of uh, um, thing that just kind of, that's, we need to hear. And uh, they, again, show us how to behave, what to be aware of, what, to, what, what we would consider dangerous. Um, and uh, instill upon us, you know, how to live they can address difficult issues within society in a non-threatening way yeah you can get your point across yes. um you know there's words coming out of an animal's mouth it's, you know you can accept whereas the same words coming out of a human's mouth you go no 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 yeah. um but they a way of addressing and accessing that information that allows us to realize, you know, there, this is the way you should behave. Here's an example of things you should, that are dangerous. Here's an example of things that, that you know, you should consider yeah. as you lead your life. And so those respect, they, they are ways of the guide rails, I guess, of, mm -hmm. of our civilization that, that transcend culture, that transcend um, ethnicity. These are ways of how to be human. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that a lot. I was I was reading um, an article by Jonathan uh, Gottschall, uh, and he was talking about uh, Robin Robin Dunbar as well, the, um, and an anthropologist Daniel Smith, um, and some of his colleagues, and they were talking about how there's this connection that we have with storytelling. Um, that you know so when when you're reading a book right you're caught in the moment but it's an individual experience between you and that that writer in that moment right we're watching the tv you're having this connection with the tv and not necessarily the people around you the theater um it's with the stage and the actors and maybe some of the audience around you in, in a similar way to the, the 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 cinema you know you get caught up in that that group feeling of euphoria or fear or whatever's going on in the story but with storytelling, it's, a, it's, it's very much a communal and community thing, you know, when it's not 2021, right? <laughs> 2020. And when we're all in a group together and we're all telling a story, 
and we feel that connection with each other a lot more strongly i think um and this is what one of the things that that, that gotchelin uh was saying is that um it's something that we are we're transported together as a group um as a community and i think that's that's something that can be said i think for folk and fairy tales as well that doesn't always necessarily work with personal narrative. I think personal narrative touches touches on us in a, in a way that's similar to reading a book, because if it's something that 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 person who is doing personal narrative, it's it's an individual experience that you can identify with, right? Whereas I think with folk and fairy tales, it's a much broader. You you know you're not having because it's a folk and fairy tale. You can't have that exact same experience because you're not a lion or a monkey or you're not in a world that's inhabited by dragons and unicorns right so there's that that one step removed that you have but yet there's that connection that you have with the with the incident the uh, the issue at hand as it were in the story do you think that do you do you think that's also true or do you think i'm just <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're full of hot air. No, <laughs> no, no. no I, I, I'd say there's there's some truth in that, but I'd take it a little. I'd go back to my original premise in that, yeah. um, personal narratives are stories, and I believe yeah. that you know storytelling. Uh, you don't have that fourth wall as you would in theater or movies or television. It's right. much more uh, intimate in that respect. Uh, and more direct. Now, personal narrative versus folk and fairy tales. Um, I think they both, you know, as a, as an audience member, you hear both, and both can allow you to transport your ways. But I'll, I'd say that a personal narrative has is personal. I mean, it it, it may strike people who have that same resonance. Mm-hmm. At different levels, um, you know, if, if you're if you're depending upon your life experience, if you had a very similar life experience, you can resonate very strongly with that. If you have a different life experience, you may not resonate as strongly with that, but you may feel, you know, the emotion certainly. Right. A folk and fairy tale has the advantage of having a lot of the extraneous details stripped away and getting down to that, like in that polishing, to that deeper universal human need and right. that I think that because it's been told for so long because it it addresses some basic human wounding that needs to be healed or needs to be heard that it has a wider appeal it can strike more people that more, more people can resonate with that um, because of the universality of it, as opposed to a personal narrative, which may strike some people very strongly, but others not so much. And I think that's the difference. I think both of them work, both of them transport people. It's just that because the folk and fairy tales have had been told so many times, and a lot of that, that, that uh, it's been polished and smooth, and it has sinks down to that, and it resonates at a much deeper level that can strike many more people, uh, in a more general way. Yeah, I like that. So, um, what's your process when you when you go to learn a story? What, how, how do you oh, do that? Oh, when I go to learn do? a story. Because everyone does it a little bit differently, and it's I'm always interested in finding out how folks do that. 
Okay. Um, we're looking for new stories. I read a lot. I listen to a lot. I read a lot. And some stories just kind of go in one ear out the other, and some I can't. I couldn't tell you what's going on. But I, I, I pay. I've learned to pay attention to things, stories that won't let me go. I read a story, and it, you know, a day or two later, it comes back. Oh, that story, it's still there. Huh? That's interesting. I pay attention to that. Or when I'm reading a story, and all of a sudden, I start hearing the voices of the characters in my head. Oh, like, yes. oh. Yeah, why? Why is this character speaking? You know, I'm, I'm reading this line. I can hear this character's squeaky little voice. Oh, that's interesting. Or you know, I, I can I I. When those things happen, I pay attention. I think there's something here for me, you know. And okay, I realize. Okay, this is a story. I I I want to work on this story. So I type it out exactly as I found it. Um, that's my first my original piece. And then I start looking for as many other sources, um, other versions of the story, if it's a folktale or whatever it is, or if it's a, a historic story, I try to find as much as I can about the details, the context in which the story is found. What was going on at the time? Who are these people involved? Are there other versions of the stories? Did this actually happen? If it's a real story, did it actually happen or is someone making this up? You know, I need to understand, you know, what, yeah. what, what am I getting into here? And, um, but more to the point, I pay attention to, I try to find out what is it about this story that resonates with me? What unhealed part of me is longing to hear this story? And I need to, I need, for me, I need to understand my connection to the story as that's going to give me insight as to what I need to heal in myself and how I need to tell the story. And that allows me to go and formulate what gift it is I want to give to the audience. Um, this story has affected me in some way. I need to be able to tell it. Why? What? What's going on with me? Oh, this is the part of me that you know that that hurt or got got shunned or got shut away or whatever it is. And I need to look at that. I need to look at that so I can be able to go and bring all those emotions up to the surface and hold it there for the audience to have their own experience and not break down myself. If I haven't done that, I haven't yeah. done the personal process work on myself uh, right. to go and allow that to happen. Because as soon as I, if I ever break down on stage, that's it. Everyone immediately turns, comes out of storytelling mode. They go into caretaking mode and they're worried yeah. about me and they're not in the story. I'm not in service of the story. For me, storytelling is always about being in service to the story and making it the best it can possibly be. I'm simply the conduit through which the story comes through. That's really cool. So uh, one thing that you also mentioned on your website is that you went to the Barbara Brennan Healing School. Is that correct? Right? Yes. She's, she's the woman that wrote the book, Hands of Light, which I yes. think a lot of people of our generation have owned at some point or another. <laughs> Do you, th you so you talked a lot about healing just then and about um, how, how that story has touched something upon you that needs healing, um, which I find immensely fascinating. Um, I don't always feel it, I, I always feel that a story resonates with me, but it's not necessarily something that I, I figure about that there's a healing process. Do you think the, the work that you did at that school um, has, has brought uh, to your mind? Uh, more of the healing of a story and the healing of yourself um, through your work. 
Oh, that certainly. That's ex- that's exactly. I mean, it, that was again <laughs> another tool in my tool chest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. It was, you know, I, I learned about <laughs> <laughs> you two can spend a lifetime and have your own tool chest, you know, hey. um, other aspects of myself. Like I said, I, you know, I was interest. I was introduced to personal process work through that. I was, in, I learned about connecting to other people, um, being present. Uh, and uh, these are all things that. You know, as storytellers, we either develop, you know, consciously or have an intuitive feel unconsciously of this is what we need. How do we need to be? We need to be present. We need to be with the audience and focused and not thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner. Um, You know, uh, it's so these are part and parcel of all those things. And I think the. My work with the school and uh, was actually one another of these things pieces that allowed me to go on my storytelling journey. Uh, we had to do an art project. And one of the art projects I wanted to do was go and tell a story. I mean, people could tell my storyteller, oh, you know, what do I want to do? So I sat there and they said, okay, come up on stage and tell your story to the class. I did. And they said, okay, this is what you're doing energetically. We can see this, you know, how you behave. Now, try it this way. Try and actually opening yourself up and connecting to everyone in the audience. Just stand there and do that and then tell your story. And all of a sudden, when I did that, I had I told the same story again. Everyone was hanging on every single word. And I realized, wow. oh, this is magic. And yeah. it's as simple as being present. And I imagine as if when I'm telling a story to an audience, I'm kindling, kindling a little fire in each individual person. I look at that person, kindle a little fire. Look at that person, kindle a little fire. It's connecting to the person. I can have a sea of people out there, and I'm trying my best to connect to them and hold the space for them to have their own experience. So it's just another way of framing what we do as storytellers. And it gave me a framework in which to think and how to behave and how to conduct myself when I'm on stage. Uh, so, yes, I think uh, my work at the Brennan School um, helped me personally. It really expanded my worldview, changed my perspectives a lot, brought more awareness to, you know, who I am and what I need to be doing. And that, yeah, I do have wounds. I do have issues. And there's something I can do about it. I can actually heal myself. So part of my, you know, I I firmly believe that storytelling is my healership. It is how I am able to go and, you know, again, let's going back to what I originally said, finding a story finding my connection to that story. What is it that I can bring to the story? What, how can I, how do I need to tell this story? Because, you know, this is my perspective and providing that gift to the audience to allow them as I'm telling the story to have their own experience about, you know, everyone has their own life life experiences and stories affect people differently. And I can tell the same story to a group of 50 people and 50 people have different experiences, but it's their experience. Right. It's not for me to decide what's right or what's wrong. It's their experience. And I'm simply allowing them the opportunity to take a look at what might be going on for them. I'm not there to go and, and fix anyone or do anything. I'm simply <laughs> giving people an awareness of, Hey, you know, this affected me this way. What's going on with you? You might want to take a look at that. 
I really like what you said about holding a space for people. What do you think is um, important to you for the audience in regards to that whole healing of stories? Well, I think stories can be very healing. And, you know, as a, as a storyteller, you know, you can only take people as far as as far as you have gone yourself, right? So, um, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's when I tell stories that, that, you know, affect me, you know, there are little hints telling me that, hey, this, this is part of, part of your stuff you need to look at, or here's something that you, don't, you haven't looked at, you probably should look at. Uh, so for me, that's my own little healing journey that, that I have to go and investigate myself. Why is, you know, why am I having this reaction to this story? What's going on with me? So I'd be curious about that. Um, and in, you know, finding my own way to find out why am I resonating with this particular story that caused me to look at parts of myself, part of my own history, things that I have not wanted to look at, but I need to look at in order to go and really understand what this story is, is, is telling me. Mm -hmm. And once I've gone through that personal process work and I've gone on my own journey, then I can, I have a new perspective as to what this story is really about for me, why am I resonating with that? And I can tell the story from that perspective, with that in mind. And when I go in front of an audience and I bring all of myself to that story, to them, um, and I've done my personal process work so that I can bring all those emotions right up to this and hold them for the audience and hold them so they can have their own experience about whatever the story is for them. And, um, then I can, you know, if I can immediately switch and go into another character or change scenes and not break down, that tells me that I have done my process, personal process work and I'm doing it in a good way. Um, my goal in, in telling these types of stories that, that, that resonate with me um, at a deeper level is not so much I'm going to heal everyone. It's No, it's more I'm bringing right. attention. I'm bringing them, giving them an opportunity to look at something that, hey, you know, if this resonates with you in this particular way, you know, you might want to take a look at perhaps, you know, be curious about why you're having this reaction to the story or something like that. So it's more of a bringing awareness. You know, here's the situation. Here's an awareness. If you're feeling the emotion, you're feeling triggered by this, um, you know, be curious as to why. It's not yeah. so much that I'm going to be, you know, you know, healing anyone. It's normal. Just bringing awareness to things and for them to invite them to embark upon their own journey of healing. That's the way I can look at it. Yeah. That's so cool. So what, what, what lights up your eyes when you're, when you, as a storyteller, not just when you're performing, but the whole, you know, the whole process of, of work. Uh, for me, I mean, I, I love research. <laughs> I'm yeah. one of those weird, geeky, nerdy people who um, really enjoys enjoys that that hunt, that detective work. Um, yeah. So, you know, if I, I come across a story that that somehow resonates with me, that that tells me, hey, you know, tell me, tell me, you know, that I I start hearing the voices of the characters as I'm reading the scripts going or reading the story, then that's a, a it's a cute clue to me that hey, this story is you know it's important. Pay attention, pay attention. Um, or if I'm having a reaction to a story and it the story keeps coming up. It doesn't leave me alone. Again, that's another little clue to me saying, hey, pay attention. Something's, something's here for you. Um, and so, okay, I've got, I've got a story. It might be a, you know, a fragment of a story. It might be 
something that triggers a memory for me. And then I, you know, I said, okay, this is a story that is demanding my attention. It wants, it needs, it needs attention. It wants to be told. I need to investigate more. Um, I start finding other versions of the story. You know, if it's a folk tale or if it's a historic story, then I start doing research. What was the situation? What is the context of this story? You know, is this story true? You know, are there other accounts of this story? And um, you know, where what are the the biases in the version that I'm that I'm looking at here? Right. Um, and then start start really digging into it and saying if it if it actually happened, you know, are there newspaper accounts of, of this event? I can dig into newspaper archives and take a peek and see what kind of news articles are written about this incident at this time. Are there photographs or anything like that? You know, just being a real detective and digging through all the records and finding out what actually happened here. Because you get a story, and of course, you know, if it's written from a certain person's point of view, then it may, you know, the truth some lies somewhere in between. If you have, especially if you have mm-hmm. two two versions of the story that kind of contradict mm-hmm. each other, um, or else, uh, you know, if so it's a, it's a matter of, of winnowing through the facts of the story and getting to the truth of the story. What is What actually happened? What was kind of embellished afterwards? Or what is probably not likely to have occurred that way because of, you know, the facts of the situation? Okay, so once I've gotten all that, I've gotten, I've done my research. It's a matter of saying, okay, now um, let's look at the story. Let's take a look at the story structure. You know, how do, how do we want to tell the story? Um, you know, what is the sequence of events? Uh, where's the real conflict of the story? What is the question that needs to be answered? Um, and making sure that, that I get that up front, saying, hey, this is, this is, this is the reason why the story is important. This is the question that, the burning question that keeps you wanting to ask why, what happened next, what happened yeah. next. Um, once I've identified that for myself, and it's like, okay, I've got that. Now, you know, what are the, you know, the, the newspaper, please. You know, the who, what, where, why, when. All those questions seem to be put in the front part. That's all in, the, in that beginning part of the story. And then as the story develops, you want to talk about more about how, okay, uh, when, how are things progress? How do things get developed? How do they get worse? How does the situation get worse and worse and worse? And when you think it can get any worse, how does it get even worse? You know, and then how is how does the story revolve? You know, resolved. What happens? You know, how is the question answered? And what happened to these people afterwards? Um, you know, simple basic story structure. You know, because you say you want to you want to pull you through that whole story. And uh, if it's a story about the hero's journey, then you want to make sure that all those facets of the hero's journey are in there. You know, you you go from the un, uh, from the real to the unreal. You go down into the belly of the beast. You come out the other side, and you know you you. Vanquish the you vanquish the monster. You you've collected the treasure. You you've accomplished the task, whatever it is, and then you come out the other end. And how have you changed? What have you learned? And what what gifts do you bring to the audience? You know that whole journey. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, to to me, that those are all the pieces. You know, when you're creating a story, that mm-hmm. those are all the pieces that kind of need to be there that can help you give you clues as to, you know, again. From your perspective, you know, where, why is the story important to you? Tell it from that perspective and look at all these things. And, okay, now you've got this, this story. It's a mess. It's a huge thing. And now, now, you, now it begins the, the part of the storyteller where you say, okay, I've got a lot, a lot of words here. How can I winnow out all those words to the critical view? Because yeah. I've got a finite amount of time. I've got to get the images out there. I've got to move the story along. 
there's all these really cool little side side detail trips that I don't have time for. I can't put that in the story because I only got this much time. Um, but it's a really cool little cool little, cool little thing because you know, as a researcher, you get you love all the details, but you can't have it all details. You need to know that as a storyteller, this is what's behind the door. This is what's down the hallway that you don't go down. You right. know that, but as a storyteller, as a story, what is the critical path? critical few that you need to have in there so you can move the story along and get to the end um that's the way i look at it right 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 no but it it brings up an interesting point though because there are some stories that you that that one finds and and you can you can get to that that diamond if you will Mm -hmm. but but when you start telling that story there are those other things that you might want to put in so are there some stories that you have different versions of where you have more of the the peripheral stuff in because it just makes it a juicier story and then a shorter story oh, for you know oh, yeah. for when you have yeah, yeah. time limitations maybe definitely definitely especially the longer pieces that i've created especially yeah. the historic stories you know you've got the full-blown 40-minute piece that yeah. You probably never tell because there's so many details inside of it. And then you know you've got that. You know you, you went okay. Now what? What are the, you know? You know all these details. But okay, what what is the important stuff here? You know what is the, you know, and again, who is your audience? You know, is it yeah. is it you're telling it to grown-ups? Are you telling it to, to teenagers? Or telling it to kids? Because right. each of those has different different things you got to add in or things you got to leave out. Um, so yeah, uh, I tell this one story about the uh, the Chinese immigration in the United States, Pacific Northwest specifically. You know, the, it's called um, uh, you know I call it coming to Gold Mountain or letter from Gold letter from Gold Mountain. Um, you know, the full blown piece, yeah, forty minutes, but a lot of details and stuff that you can get lost in, <laughs> lot of statistics. Um, so you condense it down, say, okay, there's a twenty minute version, which is the version I normally tell because that's I and I aim it at, at the adult audiences, you know, for grown ups. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, you know, the the eight minute version, which is I cut everything down to the critical few. This is if you this is the essential piece, you know, the essential question and the essential uh, facts that you need to know for the story. Uh, you know, just just boom, here's the story. Da, 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 da. Um and then, you know, of that same story, I've got, you know, the version for the fourth graders. Right. You know, totally different perspective, different narrator. Um, the first one is, is an old man, and he's writing a letter home. And here's, you're reading his letter. Fourth grade version, no, 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 you're, I'm a historical detective, and I'm here, I'm here, all the clues that I found, and here's the story that I've been able to piece together by doing the research. Again, oh, wow. different perspective, looking at the same facts, telling it in different ways. Yeah. Um, same story, uh, but you know, again, you know, who do you tell these things to? And again, you balance it with the audience, and and yeah. and uh, you know, what the needs of the audience. You know, how much? You know, what are what are they interested in? Uh, so again, yes. So when you're doing research for some of these stories, one of the things, one of the words that jumped out at me was, you know, there are certain biases um, in 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 the versions of the tales, right? And sure. Um, some of that is cultural. Some of that is, um, you know, uh, from a particular time period, you know, because that's how people thought back in those days or acted yep. back in those days. How many stories have you found where the lens is completely skewed on, on certain versions and, and you've had to really dig a lot deeper to find, you know, the real truth of the matter? I would say that, you know, just about any historic story, you, you, you're going to run into that. 
Um, <laughs> okay. Because, you know, especially, you know, I, I do a lot of World War II stories. And, right. you know, history is written by the victors. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's a lot of it is told from that, from the perspective of the winners. Right. Um, and, uh, or else, uh, another case of uh, the story I created about, um, I call it Chile Not, uh, the Fritz Finken story. You know, it's a, it's a story that when I first found it, it was his version that he had written down um, in 1964. Uh, and then I think Hallmark made a movie out of it. And so you'll see this really romanticized version all over the web about the story. And um, I needed to get down to the facts. And I needed to figure out what is true, what is not, what kinds of, you know, would this person have really said this at that time or not? Um, and luckily, I was able to find an actual interview with this guy on, because oh, wow. he, he went on Unsolved Mysteries because he was trying to find these seven soldiers who, you know, met during the Battle of the Bulge at their hunting lodge, hunting cabin in the middle of the Ardennes Forest. And, uh, you know, during, on Christmas Eve. And how it was a peaceful time, and how they all—they were a truce, you know, through Christmas Day. Then they mm -hmm. all shook hands and they went their separate ways as friends. And he was trying to find locate these men years and years later. And I was able to find a, an interview with this man, Fritz Finken, before he passed away in two thousand and one. Uh, and how he was eventually reunited with one of those soldiers um, oh years years later. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, from his perspective, from his words, from what he recalled. Uh, just, just, just him talking. I was able to find. Okay, that's that's real. You know, I, I, I can I can I can feel that the authenticity of what he's saying, um, and a lot of this other stuff that, you know, from other people's perspective, other versions of the story I've read, nah, maybe not so much. I can't substantiate that. I'm not going to leave it out. And right. so this is an editorial thing as as a storyteller. You know, especially historic stories, when you have opi differing opinions. Uh, you know, lots of times I find myself saying, well, some people say this and some people say that. I don't know, really know what happened. Here's the outcome. This is what factually I can I can say actually happened, you know, was the result of this action here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, leave it up to the audience to decide whatever version they want to believe. But here's the actual, here's the, here's the ramification. Here's the actual facts that actually the result of, of all this thing that happened and move on from there. Cause you know, it, it's the story that we're interested in and the transformation that happens um, and how that, you know, affects the audience. It affects yeah. the characters. That's the important thing for me. Have you, have you ever had someone come up, come up to you at the end of one of these historical performances that you've done or historical stories that you've told um, and Given you more information because oh yes definitely definitely see that's the thing about historical stories you if i you know unless you experience it you weren't there and if you weren't there <laughs> right. guess what whatever you got is wrong because <laughs> you weren't there <laughs> um yeah i mean when i i look upon every historic story i tell as a living document because i don't know everything right and you know I've got, yeah, lots of times, especially when I start telling stories, people come, well, it wasn't exactly like this. This is what actually happened, or that wasn't quite right. Go back and check your facts, because this is, this is, this is what, 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 you know, people agree actually happened here. I've had that happen a lot. In fact, I, when I first started out, you know, there's a, a guy, who's, uh, one person said, give me your script. <laughs> Let me annotate oh, no it for way. you. 
And that was great. It was fabulous. And you know, I, I, and you know, I'm still in contact with this guy. He's a, he's a historian. He's a filmmaker. And he says, "Oh no, no, no! Here, here, here! This is kind of what happened here." Because um, these guys, he's, he's interviewed hundreds of veterans, you know, and he's and he's yeah. seen a lot of this stuff. And so he said, "No, no, no! This this is what I know to be true." Cool. I'm happy with that. Like I said, I'm I'm trying my best to 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 give people the facts as best as I can know them. And like I said, because I wasn't there, I didn't experience it all. It's constantly being changed. And I said, I can't right. change it in the video, but I can change it when I tell the story. You know, I'll, I'll do yeah. my best because, you know, once it's frozen, it's frozen. But as I tell the story live, as I tell it, as I, as I, as I continue on my journey, um, you know, I will make changes and I'll adapt the stories the best that I can. That's got to be such a satisfying experience when you find out more truths or, or uh, another truth or a slightly different truth. <laughs> To the well, you know, again, you know, it's it, it, it's it's great that, um, you know, that the people who lived it or real authorities on mm -hmm. on the subject matter saying, you know, didn't quite get it right here. Change this, then you know, then this is the, a better fit for for what we know. Oh, I love that. It's great because one, they're paying, they took the time to listen to me. And two, they cared enough to say, you know, you didn't get this right. I want you to make sure you get this right. I love being able to do that. Um, yeah. And, uh, it, you know, it, it it makes me feel that, yeah, you know, okay, I'm, I, I said, I, my, my whole goal in doing a lot of this stuff is to do it in a good way, the best honor. life that I possibly can, to yeah. honor the people who are, whose story I'm trying to tell because they're not around to go and tell their story anymore. And... Mm -hmm. It's my responsibility to tell it the best way I can. That's so cool. You can't have an ego to do this kind of work, I don't think. Well, the sort of work that I, you're I, doing anyway. Well, my, my attitude is I'm just a storyteller. I'm the conduit. The story is, yeah. is the star, right? Yeah. And yeah. the way I always look at it is, you know, the story is over here, right? That's the story. And yeah. I'm over here. And I want to do everything I possibly can to make the story as best as possibly can. It's not like this, you know. So you hit the story, hit me. Yeah, no, no, no. Right. We always want to make sure the story is the best it can be because the story is a star. I'm just the guy who's just kind of like relaying the story. That's the way I always <laughs> look at things. Um, so yeah, no. Yeah, you want feel, to, yeah. Whenever I've asked for feedback, I said no, no. Tell me because I want to make it the best I can. I don't yeah. care about anything else. <laughs> so, so do you get no? Do you get nervous before you go go out on the stage and, oh, and tell a story? Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> you mean that? Is that's it, you know. Is it more so with like, the Is it more so with the historical stories than the folk stories, or is it about the same? It's anything. Um, yeah. When I when I when I feel those butterflies, I mean, to me, that's an indication in that I'm in. I'm where I'm supposed to be. Um, right. That that's nervous energy. Yes. And as a storyteller, I figured out how to take that nervous energy and channel it into performance. When I don't feel that nervous energy, that means something's wrong. I mean, I'm not feeling well. I'm not taking it seriously. Why am I not taking it seriously? What's going on? And before I get on stage, I got to go and adjust my attitude so that I feel that. Because that's yeah. just stuff I can use in the performance and an indication to me that yeah I'm 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 taking it seriously and yeah I'm on the I'm I'm you know there's no safety net I'm on the tightrope but I have confidence in the story and I just got to go and let that thing fly ah oh, that's so cool that's so cool
All right, I got a couple of silly questions for you. Well, I got a lot um, of silly answers. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so, um, what is is there a storyteller that you've not met, either living or dead, that you would love to have met, or would love to meet? Oh, many, many. Um, you know, I, I didn't really become a really uh, aware of storytelling really until you know maybe the early late nineties, um, and I really didn't become a professional storyteller until two thousand and three. Um, and by that time, you know, I guess uh, I was just that transition phase where a lot of the older storytellers who were part of that original storytelling movement in the seventies and eighties um, were going away, and I never met Ray Hicks. And everyone just, you know, at, you know, yeah. in, in that part of the country in, in, in Tennessee, they just, they just, you know, revered him as, as, you know, one of these guys who just knew stories. He's lived stories. Um, you know, um, I think uh, Gamble Rogers is another one who I've heard about, but I didn't know he passed away before I, again, became aware of what his storytelling was. Um, yeah. And people have been tribute, tributes to him and things like that. Um, That's all right. Jackie Torrance. <laughs> Jackie oh, Torrance Jackie is another Tor one. Yes. I, you know, I had one opportunity to see her, and I had a conflict or something like that. Something was, wasn't quite right. I couldn't quite make it fit. Um, you know, she came to Nationals. I happened to be at Nationals at the time, and I missed my opportunity to go and listen to her live. And then she passed away shortly thereafter. Um, <sighs> you know, again, you know, these these luminaries, these people who just everyone just revered that I, I wished that I had, you know, an opportunity to really sit and listen to them or talk to them and things like that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of these people, I have lots of, you know, again, <laughs> not really sure of, you know, that's uh, not, not aware. <laughs> yeah, now yeah. that no, I, I, I hear back you. and saying, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel the same way because I think we, we entered around about the same time. And, um, mm. you know, I didn't know about Jackie Torrance until she had passed away, you know, and mm -hmm. the same with JJ Renault. Um, oh, I was, yes. I wanted yes. to meet Sid Lieberman and then Sid Lieberman passed away. And I was, mm -hmm. that, that mm -hmm. was just, that gutted me because, you know, I had a couple of conversations with him on the phone about um, one of his stories. And I was mm -hmm. like, I really want to mm -hmm. see this guy. I really want to meet this guy. He sounds really cool. And he's, he sounds really nice. And I want to, you know, learn from him. He was really nice. I did have the opportunity to go and oh, interact did. with him several times, and 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 tell with him. And uh, I think the first, the first time I I performed at nationals, uh, Sid was my MC, and he introduced me, and that was like amazing. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, again, <laughs> yeah, again, you know, it's 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 an, it's a small community, and it's a very open and loving community and uh i you know at the time you know when i was first starting out i was shy and i didn't know who or what or you know um but i would encourage people to you know to if they're if they're interested in in they like these storytellers go up and talk to them they're more than willing just to sit there and talk with them because i think people storytellers are very open and honest and yeah. We love to talk. <laughs> we, we love do. to tell stories. We love stories. And so, you know, if people, you know, feel feel the need, do it. Especially because, you know, the opportunities, uh, especially now in COVID, you know, gosh, uh, to meet someone face-to-face, -face, pretty hard, pretty rare. Um, right. You know, it's uh, but an opportunity to see, see or listen to any of these people, 
you know, especially the luminaries of the field, you know, right. who, are, who are getting older. It's, 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 you know, take the opportunity at all times just to go and just say hi. <laughs> right, right. And I think, you know, I think one of the things is that probably every single storyteller that does this for a living, we, we love our craft so much we're happy to talk about it. And also, you know, people see up, up on a stage sometimes, you know, at, at things like the National Storytelling Festival or Timpanogos or wherever, right? And, and they think, oh, you, you're a star. And it's like, you, not really. We're just like a plumber, but we do what we do up on the stage, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I look at it. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> the plumbers tend to make more money than we do. <laughs> yeah, they do, unfortunately. <laughs> But you're right. right. So, I think, you know, storytellers, we all get together. What do we do? We talk about stories. We talk yeah, we about do. crafting stories. And, you know, that's one of the joys I really like is when a bunch of storytellers get together and we talk about, you know, experiences that we've had or stories that we're working on or, you know, how to make things better. Um, and yeah. I just love that. I think that's, that's so cool. And I, I've certainly missed that a lot in these times where, you know, we're all distant. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a true statement. That's a true statement. So what's your favorite breakfast? Where would your favorite place be to eat said breakfast? And who would you eat that breakfast with? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those questions I sat there and stared at and went, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I really enjoy, uh, I don't have very often, you know, certainly Eggs Benedict. Um, with uh, ice strong coffee. I mean, I I I remember uh, when I was when I was traveling through Paris. You know, the, the strong French coffee with the, with the cream. You pour both of them at the same time into the mm -hmm. cup, and uh, uh, you know, just kind of people watching and um, and you know, fresh baked bread with butter. Oh gosh, you know, uh, yes. so many images are coming coming to my mind about. You know, and they're clashing, like, you know, having high tea, but, you know, that's not quite breakfast, but, you know, sandwiches and things like that with salmon and capers and onions. Yes. You like your um, food then, by the sound of it. I love food. I'm, I'm, I'm a little food junkie. Where would I have that? Gosh. Um, oh, there's so many things that come to my mind, you know, like sitting in a city to watch people go by or else just sort of like uh, uh up on a mountaintop, just kind of watching the clouds roll in and watching the animals come and graze. I mean, I, I don't know. I, 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 yeah. So many, so many, so many images are flying, flying through my mind right now. <laughs> so, so what, what I can see and what, other, what, what the listeners will not be able to see is that um, Alton's got his, his eyes closed and he's, he's got this big <laughs> smile on his face. And I know that he's he is salivating. Different places and different things. <laughs> It's like not just a smorgasbord of food, but it's a smorgasbord of the world of where he's traveling. It's like he's on a flying carpet in his mind. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, you know, so many, you know, when you ask that question, I said, I oh, guess there's so many places, you know, and things that I, I remember um, just traveling. I mean, to me, I, I love traveling. And that's the reason why when you when you ask me these questions, where would it be? I have a hard time figuring that out. Yeah, uh, okay. And that's you know, it, it's this a world of experience and and beyond you know just you know our mundane thing, getting up and going out of the coffee shop, and, you know, but traveling to different parts of the world, not figuring out. You know, I I I spent a year wandering around through Europe, and I think 
that was my year of freedom, and uh, I've always tried to get that back. I mean, I was I didn't have a lot of money, but I had a lot of time, and uh, I never knew where I was going to be the next day because I had a, a URL pass, and I was just off on an adventure. <laughs> and um, those URL uh, passes are great, aren't they? Oh, I loved it, and uh, you know, I, I and. I studied in Copenhagen Business School, and you know, so I, I really got to know uh, living in another culture. I lived in Turkey for several months and just kind of wandered all over the place. Um, but it was, it was that freedom of just not knowing where I'm going to be and what I'm going to be doing, and, and it not really mattered. It's like, oh, yeah. look. You know, I, I remember I, I, I was in, uh, you know, where was I? I was in Monaco, and I said, okay, let's go to... Uh, Nice. I'd never been to Nice before. I said, "All right, time to." I eventually had to get up to Brussels. Uh, where's the next one? Dijon. Dijon. Okay. Well, I've never been to Dijon. I know they make mustard there. Let's go there. <laughs> I, I, I get off the night train, you know, and it's like it's like four in the morning and it's snowing. I'm saying, I'm not leaving this station. Where's the next train out of here? You know. I said, seven thirty train to Bone. Bone. What the heck is that? I look at my little map. Bone. Medieval walled city in the middle of the wine country. <laughs> We're going to bone, <laughs> and it was a great time. I mean, a great time wandering through this, you know, this you know, town. But I guess that that sense of adventure, um, and and it not really matter. Just just living there in the moment to me. I think that's the most important thing. So you asked me about breakfast and where would I be, wherever I happen to be at the time. That is the I most like important that. time. There and you, you know whatever I happen to be eating, you know that that's great because it fits right this time, this place. Um, would it be the same again if I go back? Probably not. But for that right. moment, that time, for that image, and where I am, yes, that's perfect. Ah, oh, that's a good. I like that answer. Thank you. <laughs> that's a great answer. And I, I, you know, you know, talking about being present and and the traveling and stuff, I. I, you know, when you were saying that, I felt that when I'm telling stories, you know, the folk and fairy tales, I kind of feel that way as well, because you have to be present in the story when you're telling it. But also, mm -hmm. I feel that I'm traveling within that story and I'm traveling to all mm -hmm. these different places, which I think is, you know, it's probably one of the reasons why I like this craft so much, this art so much, this whole this whole nonsense that called storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> Go on an intergalactic trip in your office. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, in your own little brain, in my own lunchbox. <laughs> well, Alan, thank you so much indeed for your time. I, I greatly appreciate it. Um, and uh, I hope that it's sooner rather than later that uh, we might be able to get together for our breakfast somewhere at out oh. there in person that would be freaking awesome that would be awesome like i said you know i think uh you know hopefully you know things will begin to subside eventually i'm not sure yeah. but you know i'd love to be able to go back and, and go back to traveling again and meeting people face to face instead of you know in this little tiny electronic box yeah. but uh yeah you know and again as you mentioned you know when you're on stage and as a storyteller being present is one of the gifts the sort of look and bring. Um, you're not worried about what you're having for dinner, what you, what you can do with your laundry. You're there, you're present, you're on stage, you're in the story. And yes, you're reacting to what's in that story. You're reacting to that audience. And I think people can feel that difference when you are 100% presence because most of the time we're not. We're thinking about things in the past. We're thinking about things in the future. 
And, you know, if you can get five minutes a day with someone who's just 100% present with you in that moment for that time, I would consider yourself extremely lucky. And I think yeah. think people can, can sense that. I know kids can. Um, yeah. In that they want, you know, they, they don't know what it is. They can't name it, but they want more of it. Yeah. And, I, and I, I've seen that and I've felt that. And I think that's one of the true gifts a storyteller can bring to their audience is the gift of their time and their presence. Oh, amen to that. <laughs> oh, and thank you so much for participating in conversation with storytellers. A massive thank you. Um, oh, really my pleasure. appreciate it. And uh, I, I hope we get to see each other soon in person. Oh, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Yep. Breakfast. Breakfast of Champions. That should be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, mate. Thanks. Thank you much. I loved my chat with Alton, and I hope you enjoyed sitting in with us too. I learned so much about the Japanese American and Hawaiian people in World War II, and Alton's thoughts about story and healing were so insightful. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, be sure to check out other episodes. And if you think I should interview a certain folk and fairy tale, myths and legends storyteller, send me an email. You can find me and my work on Facebook, Simon Brooks Storyteller, and on my website, simonbrooksstoryteller.com, and on Instagram, Simon M. Brooks. Oh, Diamond Screet? Yep, that's me, the English fella and storyteller. A shout out to Chris Jed for creating and recording and letting me use the wonderful music for my podcast. His band is called Blackpool Mecca check it out and they have a new album coming out soon thanks for being here it's just a story